For decades, we've been looking at what sits on top of the land. New stadiums, much-needed housing, bigger airports. Two devastating storms and a cyclone have changed that. We are back talking about infrastructure, for God's sake, and we're back talking about managed retreat and all those things you don't want to talk about on a lovely, you know, summer's day. Well, we're all talking about infrastructure now. Now the spotlight's on the hidden world of what lies beneath. And as Media Watch's Colin Peacock points out, we do need to start paying attention. The costs of rebuilding everything damaged so far have been loosely estimated at $8 billion, maybe much more. Oh, there's no question that as a country we need to look at the resilience of our infrastructure. And we need to do that with a, a much greater sense of urgency, I think, than we have ever seen before. Um, this weather event has really highlighted that for me. Um, it is going to be expensive. It's going to require some really big calls. But in many cases, some of that infrastructure is hard to find. I'm Alexia Russell, and today on The Detail, tracking down the pipes, the cables, the sewers, the broadband that's somewhere underneath our broken roads and slipping landscapes. If we look at some of the the headwinds that we face as society, not only in New Zealand and abroad, these sorts of events are increasing. Plus, we have a lot of urbanisation occurring. You know, we've got three water major infrastructure projects, unprecedented amount of works that we have ahead of us. With limited resource and, you know, limited funding, we need to be incredibly smart around how we not only do what we know that we have to do, but also brace for unexpected events like this. Sam Whiffin is the CEO of Reveal, a New Zealand company, but a global leader in mapping the utilities we have underground. They're the ones who spray paint those lines, letters and arrows on the ground when work's about to start. Yeah, the urban graffiti art, really. We uh, get a bit nerdy about it all. Uh, Absolutely, that's typically designed to help contractors not hit things underground. Locators, as they're affectionately known, uh, use lots of tools like electromagnetic locating tools and ground penetrating radar to put those paint marks on the ground and help people that are about to dig up the ground know what's below. And the reason why I'm speaking to you about this now is because with our recent weather events, things have changed, haven't they? Those landmarks have often have disappeared, yeah. and some of the utilities weren't where they should have been in the first place. Yeah. So just explain to me about how the, the recent sort of weather events have affected what you do or how you're relevant to that. Uh, at the moment, we've got uh, some teams up in the Hawke's Bay helping map and locate uh, the earth grids and cables inside high-voltage switchyards because there's an insulating layer of rocks to help protect people inside the switchyard, and that's all washed away. And then the earth grid, which is copper straps to help uh, earth the electrical equipment, uh, has risen, the cables have moved, and we need to find those because they need to do a whole lot of excavation works and they're hitting the utilities. Um, If you start to look at, you know, we've got uh, above-ground assets like uh, mini transformers that have been ripped out of the ground, some power poles have been pulled out of the ground and they're connected to underground cables that come off the electricity network and then you know so so that's the the immediate impact to not only the the network the electrical networks or communications networks uh, but also if you start to look at stormwater and sewer and how they're impacted from the increased rainfall um, pretty significant pretty pretty horrendous damage that's occurred up there and I guess you know we've seen those pictures of just silt covering everything yeah in situations like that Using a landmark to find the pipes is 
you can't. It's not there anymore. Absolutely. And, you know, we've had some pretty interesting ways that people have collected or captured that information when it's been put on the ground in the past. You know, taking a distance from a curb or a boundary, which isn't the boundary, it's the fence line. And if those marks are gone, then, yeah, it's, it's incredibly challenged to use those referencing points. So that's when using, say, electromagnetics or radar to, to map those is, is quite handy. Now, you can use GPS if they were accurately recorded when they go on the ground by using GPS. You could take another GPS device out there and then find that again. That's under the proviso that it hasn't moved underground. Christchurch earthquake is case in point for some of those assets moving underground. And even if you did have an accurate GPS position, it would be a challenge to find it again. So um, what are your crews actually doing in Hawke's Bay? We're marking out with paint on the ground where these utilities are to communicate to construction crews where these assets are so they can dig safely around them. Uh, the construction crews are trying to re-establish these substations to get them up and going again. In a little over 50 days, the year 2023 has unleashed a series of extreme weather events unparalleled in New Zealand's recent history. First, we had the flood. Technical teams have gone up to establish communications this morning. We started with 225,000 households without power. People have been out working in the wind and the rain day and night to get people reconnected. We have a wonderful man called Jit who's over there, um, who's, you know, dropped everything in Wellington. And we also have incredibly sympathetic clients that have allowed us to not execute our projects on time so that we could go up there and help out. But Wiffin's company isn't just about fronting in emergencies. It's about mapping what's below us to make sure that on a daily basis, emergencies don't happen in the first place. Jordan Marathi is the regional manager of Reveal for the top half of the North Island. When I talked to him, he was at Auckland Airport, where he had a team working on a small-scale job, finding out what's really under a barrier arm before it's replaced. You know, we may think that there's just a barrier arm there. Um, however, there could be communication ducts, there could be power mains that are running actually underneath or nearby to the barrier arm. Um, and that's where people quite often come unstuck because that power main or those communication ducts could actually be an important feed for the terminal. And, um, and then if somebody damages those, then suddenly we, uh, you know, we have a, a, a major issue on our hands. Uh, it's also a health and safety risk too because... Feeding those barrier arms and, and the other services nearby um, are, you know, power cables and, and, if, and if a digger goes through those, then suddenly we're putting a lot of people at risk of electric shock. If this wasn't Auckland Airport, with the potential inconvenience of thousands of travellers at stake, a different landowner might be tempted to trust the existing maps and hope that a contractor doesn't put a spade through a cable. What we're finding on site is quite a lot different than what people think is in the ground um, these these things that are old and people have lost records of these um, these things that are actually um, been built in a different way than what um, the plans have said uh, for example so um, by surveying it we are then inf- are giving that information back to Auckland Airport and then they, they can now better inform their decisions about what's actually under the ground. When councils keep these records of what is underground, 
how are they all collated? I mean, do power companies give their records to the council? Do they know? Does the council know everything that's underground? Yeah. So councils, if we look at them the way they operate in New Zealand, typically own the three water assets. So that's stormwater, sewer, and potable water, so drinking water. Uh, the ownership of those assets sits with them and. We might wade into a three waters discussion around that. But the point, and to answer your question, there are some nuances there because councils also control the access to the road. So if you want to go and do work in a road, the, ground, the council and or NZTR, Waka Katahi, will grant you permission to do so. So there are some access rules where other utility companies, say a gas company or a power company, must provide some information around their assets that are in there. Now, there's a really good service in New Zealand called Die Before You Dig, and, and globally there are lots of services like this. And what they do is they act as a facilitator to say, hey, look, I'm a contractor, I'm going to go and dig up the road. This is the area where I'm working, this is the activity I'm going to do between these dates, and then that notifies some of the utilities and says, hey, look, this person, and they send their records individually to the contractor. The council information is actually on GIS, so uh, a web-based information system, geospatial information system, which you can go and access at any time and see those records, and they're just simple line strings showing on a map. Yes, I tried to do that when I was looking for the reason why our house flooded recently, and <laughs> it's incomprehensible to me. <laughs> yeah, and and oftentimes incomprehensible to us, and we're in the industry. Um, what records we have does not often match what is actually underground, and therein lies a challenge and the reason we exist. I mean, is that your aim, to map the underground? Map the world, yeah, pretty much. Um, We, you know, starting 10 years ago, and the reason I started the business with a group of mates was because we kept on hitting things underground. I used to run large construction projects, and it seems like that was just accepted. That was just the status quo. Um, You know, with the Christchurch rebuild and the national ultra-fast broadband rollout, that was important for us to, you know, meet that challenge. And, yeah, we've we've matured since then and we've done a lot of different things and lots of adventures and swallowed a lot of teeth and lost a lot of blood. And really we're trying to improve that. We want to, you know, change the way that infrastructure is planned and built in New Zealand and around the world by having a better understanding around what is underground. But not just being reactive, we want to be able to change the records so that that improves over time and we can make better decisions. I mean, there have been calls since the flooding and, and, you know, the cyclone in particular for, for example, Auckland's um, power lines to be undergrounded. I think these storms have renewed our um, you know, awareness that our infrastructure for, for power is really fragile. Uh, even a really strong breeze can start to disrupt our power, knock trees over, take power out for people. Um, and that has some big consequences. Would that be an incidence where you, you know, you could assist yeah, absolutely. And and that's <clears throat> that happens not only just in New Zealand around the world. Pacific Gas and Electric, PG E, one of the largest utilities in the States, are undergrounding a hundred thousand miles because of the snow and fire risk. You know, the big fires that occurred in two thousand eighteen were because of old above ground electrical networks and there's an importance to put them underground. You know, there's other times where people are putting power assets underground because of the aesthetics of those and improving property prices. But the space underground is incredibly congested. We've got an enormous amount of utilities there, and there's lots of redundant utilities there. So there's not a good stock take of what is there and, and what is being used. 
So the cost for getting underground is only ever increasing, 100%. You know, by putting those uh, above-ground assets below ground will reduce those risks, but then, you know, there's definitely challenges associated with that process as well. And so this is how the new technology comes in, that you're able to discern what's there without putting a spade through it. Yeah, absolutely. Ideally, we wouldn't exist. You know, ideally, we'd have very accurate records that we could use to plan these projects. But the reason we exist is because those accurate records don't exist. And we have to go out and map that. And it takes a lot of time and effort and some incredibly smart people to create these three-dimensional models of utilities underground to look at how you would plan and, and place a new piece of infrastructure below ground. But then closing that loop is how do we accurately capture that before it's backfilled or buried so we can improve those records over time. So here's what goes wrong. A contractor uses maps from various utility providers to dig up the road and put new cables in. But often the map bears little relation to what's really there. Maybe there's a boulder or tree roots in the way, so the cable's been rerouted. But time is money and the contractor's on the way to the next job, so the change isn't recorded. The next time work needs to be done there, someone puts a digger through the cable. In 2020 in New Zealand, there were 12,861 such strike reports, more than 30 a day. And conservative estimates put the cost of these at almost $90 million. But Reveal says if you add in factors such as road closures, traffic delays, business disruption, damage investigations and more, the more realistic cost is around $2.5 billion a year. They also contribute hugely to project delays and cost blowouts. Why don't contractors do more detailed investigation before they dig? Because their margins are razor thin, and that adds costs to the job, which mean they'll likely lose out on the contract. Instead, they build in variations to their contracts, which mean if they strike utilities not on the plan, they get paid for the delays and extra work. It's a systemic problem. There's no motivation on anyone's part to spend the money for detailed surveying, in spite of how much those mistakes cost. You know, we've seen on projects where they'll go to excavate the ground, lo and behold, they find a 600 millimetre thick double reinforced concrete slab. (laughs) (laughs) Completely slows the project down and we've had some great wins where we've been able to you know, show that up front and, you know, apples for apples pricing. Say, actually, look, we know there's reinforced concrete here. You must allow to take this out. So the more we can kind of drag up front on the project and price is is really, really good. But primarily contractors don't want to hit utilities. They don't want their staff getting hurt. They don't want the delay. They don't even want the paperwork. They also don't want their other contractors. They don't want their brethren and, and, you know, communities to be doing the same thing as well. It is a systemic issue. There effectively needs to be a line in the sand drawn so we say, right, from now on, we're going to record it in this way. I mean, the technology exists to do this. It's just the social and cultural challenge we need to face to change the behaviour. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, some of these people are not pen and paper people. You know, we had a long time, 10 years ago, we had a fabulous crew out to rebuild our little cul-de-sac because it was a gravel road. And, you know, they put the footpaths in and cleared the drains, unearthed the drains. But I've just discovered (laughs) after the flooding that um, they didn't record where they put the new drains. So now there's an issue where the council thinks 
it's my drain, even though oh. they put it in and so they won't clear it. But he, you know, that guy was an expert at what he did. Our road looks mm. beautiful, but he obviously didn't go back and change the maps. Yeah. It's, th- therein lies a real challenge, and, you know, you can throw all the technology you want at it, but at the end of the day, we're humans, right? The frontal cortex requires us to, to sort of take the path of least resistance. You know, the, the phenomenal construction crews that we have around the country, you know, they'll open a road for, for the day. They've got traffic management. They've got all sorts of pressures, and, you know, you, you're rushing at the end. It's just easiest just to backfill it, and then you say, oh, well, that's... And, and guess where it is, and and you know it's there. To, wave your yeah, hand in the general direction. It, it's it's there, and, and you know I can speak from experience when I've completed construction projects in the past, and say to the contractor, "Hey, can you provide your asphalts?" And they go, "It says per construction drawings." You go, no, what about how it goes around the tree? And then we get a red pen out, and we mark out what that is, and that becomes the legacy of that information. It could be found. Ten times in that location in the future through people either striking it, so that's hitting it and breaking it, or unearthing it. But there's no mandate nor mechanism really that's in place to update or improve those records because it's it's tricky. You know, you've got contractors trying to get them to you know upskill and pay to get very accurate GPS equipment. It's just not there, and also the intent of them going out and doing those projects, they don't have budget to update those, and it's also you know, a, a cultural loop around the feedback, around, you know, improving those records doesn't exist either. So this is a podcast about the importance of paperwork. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, yeah, paperwork, but let's call it, you know, digital paperwork. But because it must, it must be, there must be massive cost blowouts, surely. If someone, a contractor is operating on a map they're given, they think that the information is accurate. They, they like you say, close the road, road, do the traffic control, dig it up, and it's they're facing a whole new scenario. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to pick on them, and I pick on them a lot, but just look across the ditch to Sydney Light Rail. Project was finished one and a half years later, and contractor has sued New South Wales government for two billion got paid out a billion, you know, massive cost blowouts, and that was primarily due to not knowing where the underground utilities were. Sydney's troubled light rail has suffered another budget blowout with the total cost of the project soaring to almost $3 billion. The project was first slated to cost $1.6 billion, but the final bill has almost doubled following pricing mistakes and legal disputes. Could the type of technology that you use have helped in that case? Oh, totally. And it was actually undertaken on that project, but later on, as opposed to at the very front stage. We're working with some, you know, Wellington City Council and Waka Katahi, Auckland Transport, actually doing this. You know, they're big customers of ours, and we're undertaking large-scale mapping projects to help inform these projects right up front so we can make better decisions and steer away from those challenges. You know, and it's and it's, a, it's an incredibly bold move, and, you know, the subsurface utility engineering discipline globally is starting to get traction but you know it's it's a bit of a no-brainer really to to collect this information up front okay so without going completely over my head explain to me how these tools work yeah cool so let's talk around ground penetrating radar Uh, first and foremost it is not designed to find underground utilities it is a geophysical instrument it just happens to be pretty good at, at the right locations and, and soil conditions. So, so like if you, you're looking at the, the makeup of the soil, if there's a line that goes through it that looks like it's plastic, you found the pipe. Yeah. 
So the services we look for are the hyperbolas. So when we find one hyperbola, we'll then go and check either side of it. And if we can get multiple in a line, then we write that down as a service. So it works on, you know, if you've got, say, dry sand, it's, that's perfect, you know, and, <laughs> and it'll find something that is pretty, you know, ferrous or, or reflective. Um, but if it's a very sort of small fibre optic cable, it would battle to see that. But then also if you have incredibly saturated soils, wet, high saline content or volcanic, it starts to battle. So effectively think about it as a fish finder that you drag along the ground and it looks for cables, not fish. Well, those problematic soils that you've just discussed basically encompass Auckland. <laughs> yeah, Auckland, um, you know, river run areas where there's lots of boulders, they all look like cables. Uh, next to any, next to the ocean with the saturated soils, real challenge as well, clay content, you know, where there's lots of little fine metals inside the clay, they, they represent a challenge. So, And, you know, getting into the industry, GPR has been, ground penetrating radar has been demonised somewhat as it was kind of seen as the magic bullet, you know, the, the, the thing that would save us all, but it was, I suppose, oversold. It's a geophysical instrument that works in some conditions. And the same as to the next tool, which is electromagnetics, which is a little bit older. And effectively, that's a tool that identifies where the electromagnetic field is around an asset. So if you had, say, a copper power cable that emits an electromagnetic field, and this tool identifies where that electromagnetic field is, uh, again, that's plagued by challenging soil conditions with high moisture content. So that would be good at finding fibre, would it? Uh, Sometimes fibre is laid with what we call a tracer wire, so a really fine copper wire, and you can induce a signal to that and then trace that. But oftentimes fibre is not laid with a tracer wire and therefore it's almost invisible. Uh, Real challenge to find fibre if it doesn't have tracer wires with it. Same as small gas assets because there's nothing reflective there. You know, it's just a PVC pipe or PE pipe. Ground penetrating radar ranges in price from $30,000 to around a million dollars for top models. But Sam Whiffin says as technology improves and gets cheaper, more companies will begin using it. But his dream is that one day the underground will be mapped by crowdsourcing, where everyone will upload pictures from their iPhone to a sort of Google Maps of the underground every time they dig a hole in their backyard. You know, the best way to map an underground utility is when you can see it. <laughs> I can see, say, for example, augmented reality. You know, it's a bit gimmicky and it's a bit new now, but I can't think of a more compelling value proposition than you can hold your cell phone up and you can see the underground utilities. But you need to have the data there. If we mapped everything as we went along and we improved all the records over time, then our opportunity to build infrastructure projects faster more efficiently without health and safety risks would go through the roof. It'd just be amazing. We just need to have that concerted effort. As for building back better in Hawke's Bay, Sam says the best thing we could do is accurately record where things are when they go back in the ground using GPS, not how far something is, from a landmark that might one day wash away. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Mark Chesterman. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. 
And thanks to Sam Whiffin and his Auckland crew, Jordan Morati, Gina Swanee and Ella Trafford. Ka kite anō. Thank you.